Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the LEP with your host Gabrielle and Sadie. <laughs> Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter, and welcome to the Leaving Eden podcast. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're back. A podcast back. about my life in an escape from the independent Baptist cult. Biz Baptist. That's what oh, we're gosh. doing. We're doing it. Sadie, what are you drinking right now? I'm drinking Manischewitz on ice. What are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking Red Bull with a straw, which is how you know I'm serious. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I was going to say about that? I was going to say, I like Red Bull. It's my drink of choice, and I drink it in the back of my Rolls Royce. Did, did you make that up, or is that a thing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, rhyming like, I don't yeah. know these things. Rhyming choice with Rolls Royce is like a very classic, like old school rap kind of, th- I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, it, it is it is spring now. Is it officially spring? I don't know. Uh, according to is. my allergies and Jonathan and Chuck's allergies, it's definitely spring. <laughs> okay, well, it's spring now. And that means that it's almost wedding season. You guys know what that means. We're talking about, what are we talking about, Sadie? <laughs> So we have talked so much about the Duggar family 
but I've been really wanting to get into some peripheral fundy families other than the Duggars, and I thought we might kind of ease into that by going down the list of Duggar in-laws, looking at some of their families, and doing a little bit of good old-fashioned fundy snarking. Fundy snark do 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 fundy snark do 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 fundy snark do 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 fundy snark. We have to at least go down the list and talk about all of them because, like, let's be real. I can't remember who is who. I don't know who is who. Um, you, you know? yeah, I, I understand that I know about who all of these people are, <laughs> but yeah. I also understand that no matter how many times I tell tell you about them, you do not know who all these people are. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to get this is part one of a two part episode everybody so we're we're talking there's too many people for us to talk about in one episode so we're gonna break this up into two parts yeah i started making notes on okay well i have to make sure i bring this up i have to make sure i say this thing and before i knew it i realized oh this is gonna be a two-part episode not only is it a two-part episode but they're two very long parts we're making like the lord of the rings uh and (laughs) if we wanted to make the lord of the rings it should have been a three-part series you know what it's going to be? It's going to be like uh, uh, Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 1 and Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2. Neither of which are movies that I've seen. No, I have not. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen the original Twilight movie on like my iPod when I was a teenager wow. because I wanted to be rebellious and see what everybody was all up in arms about. And oh, I wasn't man. super impressed, but that may be because I watched it on an iPod. Yeah. I, th- anyway, but we're going to have to come back to that later at some point. I'm sorry. Uh, that. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, let's see how fast I can do this. <gasps> Believing Eden Podcast is a podcast about Sadie Carpenter's life and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult, the cult in which she was raised. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about the real impressive threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it's our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. <gasps> So if you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, you can do a couple of things. You can join our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. You can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash group slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Before we get into our episode, I want to take a, a special moment to thank our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons. And I'm going to do that slowly because I have respect to all of our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons. More respect than to do them like I am doing the uh, side effect at a um <laughs> the side effects pharmaceutical on a commercial. drug commercial yeah or if i'm the guy from the mitsubishi ads um uh, i i got a message from from this guy and i can't and he, I, I just can't remember what it says so i'm going to co- continue pretending that you're a very french man and i'm going to call you andrew Roussant. uh we've got Brittany, we've got carrie r crystal patterson dd keppel eleanor donahue Emery Fairlosser, Hope Norum, Jessica Tambo, Tambo Like Rambo, Kay Turwee, Catherine Schneider, Kathleen Moncrief, Kristen Marie, Linda Morgan, Mary Martin, Rachel Bernadowitz, Rebecca Hoyt, Sadie's actual BFF, aka Morgan, Sarah Reese, Shane Horton, and as always, Wes C, aka Wes the Cowboy. And finally, The last thing that I want to say before we get into the main content of our episode, if you were raised in the IFB or a a similar religious group and you have a story to tell about missions trips, be it some crazy that happened while you were on a missions trip, 
or uh, say somebody came back from a missions trip and they told a story to your whole church that nobody could believe or that some people believed. And now you think back on and you're like, wow, I was an idiot for believing that that, that anything close to that happened. Send us an email at leavingedenpod at gmail.com. We're going to do an episode coming up. A lot of people have been posting their uh, missions trip stories in our Facebook group, which has been a lot of fun. But it's going to be me and Sadie and Dinah, and we're going to read your missions trip stories on the show and then make fun of them. (laughs) (laughs) And if you do send us... um any kind of submission like that that might be read on the show, let us know what your name is, what your pronouns are, um, and if you how you want to be identified on the show. If you want to be anonymous or if you want just your first name or if you don't care if we use your whole name, it's always helpful for us to have that information. If you want to, I will call you Mickey Mouse. But Sadie, yes, as you know, and and some of our listeners know I have never seen a single episode of 19 kids and counting counting on 18 17 16 15 14 however many kids we are counting on this day I have never seen a single episode for this reason I'm not the most familiar with all of the Duggar children so even after doing this show you have not seen 19 kids and counting I know you've seen some clips of it yes Okay, but you've never sat down and watched an episode. No, at some point, you know what we've been doing? Actually, the real reason for this is that we've been saving me watching it because we're going to do like some primo reaction content for me actually watching the show. But I don't blame you for not watching not watching 19 Kids and Counting. I watch reality TV for the same reasons that I assume you do, which is mostly to see hot people make terrible decisions. And 19 Kids and Counting just does not fit that bill except for sometimes the terrible decisions part. I am a fan of Love is Blind. Uh, I'm a fan of The Circle. I've been watching a lot of uh, these shows on Netflix. Love is Blind, The Circle. Have you seen Too Hot to Handle? That one's really fun. I have not, but The Circle is really, really good. I'm the kind of person, I'm very slow to follow celebrities on social media. Even some of my favorite reality people, I'll go look at their account, but I don't follow their account. And then I'm very fast to unfollow if I just don't care about them anymore, if they're not, their content isn't relevant for me. But that being said, I still follow like half the cast of the original season of The Circle. That was fire. I'm not like, I'm not Sammy like won my heart. And now she's having a baby. What a sweetheart. I love her so much. So because I've not seen 19 Kids and Counting, I find it extremely difficult uh, to keep track of all the dark. Like Michelle finds it difficult to keep track (laughs) of the children. They're her children. Okay, Um, but does your mom not do the thing where she goes through like your siblings names and then eventually gets to you? I only have two siblings. I have two siblings and a dog. And my mom has been known to call my brothers the dog's (laughs) name. I mean, yeah, my my mom would she would do the thing where she would start to say my brother's name and then she would switch it to my name like halfway through, like when I was a kid. I mean, when I was when I had recently had a baby and was sleep deprived, I may have called the cat the baby's name or vice versa at some point. I mean, it, it can't help. You know, it just seems like, you know, you set the difficulty at like extreme difficulty if you give them all names that start with the same letter like like she's got to find them she finds them hard to keep track of i would find them hard to like so i know josh jill jessa uh ginger jerome jaquarius john john 
Jar Jar. James. Uh, Jimmy. <laughs> Jimbert. Jimothy. Uh, Jacques. Joaquin. Juan. Jorge. John. Jacob. Jingleheim. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what J name they have totally skipped that they should have used? What's that? Jesus. There's no Jesus right. Duggar. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe at the end of this episode, we can do a list of perfectly nice J names that the Duggars didn't use. We won't. We won't have time. For that. We, we won't have time. We'll put it. Maybe we can make make a graphic and put it on our Instagram. Like because yeah. I just the the big criticism that I and a lot of other people have is that they were really repetitive by going with Jana, Johanna, and Joanna, but there's no Jacqueline. I think you do that for like convenience purposes. So where you can just say, like, if you're the mom, you can just go, Jana. And then they're, <laughs> and then all three of them show up. Whoever is in the house is going to show up to help you with whatever it is you're working on. That's the move. And the, but then like if all three of you are home, you can just be like, oh, I thought you were calling my sister. <laughs> That's what I would yeah, it, see. See, it would, it would work. But then there's a loophole. Also, is there a Jennifer? Yes, there's a Jennifer. She's one of the younger girls. She's like 16 now. Well, anyway, there's too many for me to remember. It's not on TV still, of course. So uh, she doesn't have to deal with any of that, uh, which is fine. So what we're going to do today is we are going to go in order of weddings instead of in order of age. And hopefully, because I like to do things chronologically, but we're going to go through every person that married one of the Duggars. You can look at this kind of like a cheat sheet for someone who's never seen the show and isn't up to date on all of these secondary characters, the people who married into the Duggars and their families, their brothers and sisters. And I do want to make it clear this episode doesn't contain a lot of new research. All of this information is really easy to find and a lot of it's from Reddit. But <laughs> I thought that people would enjoy a compilation of everything together because that's content that I like to consume. If I listen to a documentary podcast or watch a documentary on TV that's about something I'm already familiar with, what I'm looking for is having all of the information reorganized into a format where I feel like I have a better overview than I started with. So I just I don't want to act like I'm taking credit for finding this information because that's not what this particular episode is. What I hope I've been able to do is put all the information together in a way that is entertaining and fun. You know, I think that like what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to say, I have an exclusive source on all of this information <laughs> and no one else knows this. And it's really just some fucking commenter on Reddit who's just. Yeah, I have, a, I have an exclusive you. source. All of this is 100 percent true and came from somebody very close to the Duggars. <laughs> Reddit or somebody on Twitter. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I know that there are people who do that and I don't want to do that. So if you know, you know, if you know, you know. Uh, so let's jump in with the first Duggar child to get married. That was the oldest, of course, sex pest Duggar. Speaking of, uh, he recently had his sentencing delayed until May, which is good for us because I don't think I could handle doing a special episode about him getting sentenced right now. See, I just I just don't care because my perception is that he is more generally uncomfortable in county jail than he will be once he's transferred to federal prison. And I'm fine with him being generally uncomfortable, to say the least. Just want to remind everyone that we did promise, and we have not forgotten this, that we, what, how much are we donating for every year? I think we said we will do that... $5 per year up to $200. Yeah, that sounds oh. right. Oh, 
Yeah. So if he gets forty years, then we're gonna do. Then we're gonna give like two hundred dollars, right? Is that right or is that bad? That's right. That's right. Okay. Because forty nickels is two dollars. Yeah. Forty times. <laughs> I'm sorry, I caught you off guard with that one. Sorry, I'm. I'm. It is late. We we're like burning midnight oil here. That's um, that's okay. Chuck's bedtime is later now that it's summer. So and daylight savings time and all that. So now we're recording even later at night. Yeah, that's fine though. Um, but let's talk about let's talk about the wedding because there's a lot. Because this is one of the ones that they actually like was like a, a high plot line for their for their reality show. Yeah, Josh's engagement to Anna Keller and then planning the wedding was a big plot point of the first season. The whole thing is extremely funny and extremely snarkable, but there are two big things I want to cover. The first, of course, is the fact that Josh sang a song to Anna called The Loyalty Song. And it's all about how, like, I will be a faithful spouse, blah, 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 which looking back is just so cringe on so many levels. It wasn't even true. Like, he's currently in jail and going to prison for as yet undetermined amount of time due to the fact that he is a convicted pedophile. Yeah, and he also cheated on her on dating sites and who knows what else. So not super loyal, but... The other thing about their wedding is that Anna's sisters and some of the Duggar girls made the bridal the bridesmaids dresses for the bridal party, which on the surface, yeah, this seems okay. But Anna wore her sister's old wedding dress. And I don't know, she got a husband and she didn't even get her own dress. And that seems unfair. It was such a boring dress and it just was not properly fitted to her. So she looked like she was wearing a white t-shirt with a white garbage bag for a skirt. Well, she was also low-key getting like a hand-me-down husband because his first courtship fell apart because it came out that he was a pedophile. That's true, but I just feel like if she was accepting a bottom-tier husband, she should have at least gotten a a beautiful princess dress as a consolation prize. Regardless of my feelings on Anna, which get worse and worse as time goes on, I just feel like if you have to marry a dud husband for cult reasons, you should get the nicest dress possible. And her dress, it just, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't special. It didn't look good on her. Yeah, she got a raw deal. For real. So, but I want you to hold on to that thought on her wedding dress because that's going to come back in a major way further down the episode. Okay, so Anna's family, the Kellers, they have come up before on our show. Right. I'm trying to remember where. Well, there's now a connection to the Rodriguez family. Oh, God. And that's probably where they came up. But the Kellers are pretty interconnected in the IBLP world to begin with. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me that the precedent was set of Anna being from an IBLP family, but then that wasn't the case with all of the other siblings and the people that they married married into the Ducker family. Because... Some of the in-laws come from these IBLP families, but we're going to talk about quite a few who don't. I f- I just I think it's interesting that the first one was and then so quickly they went to people who weren't from the IBLP. So why is that though? Is it like is that to like does the family kind of like fall into disrepute and then their brand becomes diluted and then they aren't able to like attract top tier fundy spouses anymore? See, I I feel like that could be a part of it, but many of these weddings happened before the original scandal in 2015. And then several, several more happened before the second more recent scandal in 2021. So Mm. I feel like it could partially also because be because they ran out of top tier fundy families to marry into 
The only thing that weirds me out about this and makes me think that there's something there is that there hasn't been a Duggar Bates wedding yet. Well, we're eventually going to do an episode on the Bates. I think we've talked about them. I feel like with the state of current events in my life, it is probably a good time for me to sit down and watch a bunch of their show. But ba- anyway, back to the Kellers. They are what, so they're like well-respected, uh, a, a family of good repute within the fundy world. Yeah, the Kellers have that street cred. They were an established IBLP family with eight children, and Josh and Anna met at an IBLP homeschooling event. The Kellers' oldest daughter, Esther, is an interesting story. She is married to this guy, John Schrader, and the reason this story is interesting is because it sheds light on how Anna ended up with Sex Pest. I'm getting this story from a Reddit user, but I've seen them around the boards, and I believe I've spoken to them on one of those Reddit live things, and I feel like they're very trustworthy. So the Keller dad, Mike Keller, is a prison evangelist. So what he does is he goes into prisons and tries to help people find Jesus, which I guess is not the worst thing that you can do if people are showing up voluntarily to Jesus meetings in jail. Yeah, also, like, if you're in in prison, you're like, I my life up. I'm in prison now. And somebody's like, hey, uh, Jesus will redeem your sins and you can use Jesus's teachings to become a better person. That's all right, man. Yeah. And if people so if the people who are in jail have the ability to say F off and not go to the meeting, but they have the ability to choose to go to it if they want to. I feel like this isn't the worst. No. I looked up the ministry that Mike Keller works for. It's Rock of Ages Prison Ministries. And I found out, (laughs) interestingly, that they're running a Bible college and it's all online. It's one of those Patriot University things. Oh, man. Can you get a diploma for $15 per credit hour for a bachelor's degree? And 15 times 180 credits is $2,700. So a $2,700 college degree. It's a lot less money than mine costs. I'll tell you that. I'm halfway through and I already have more than that in student loans. So I just I found that interesting. I thought that might be an interesting fact. But Mike Keller was was used to the idea that everyone can be quote unquote fixed if they just find Jesus. He took his kids to jails with him to do this mission work. So the kids were also exposed to the same idea of anyone can be fixed if they just find Jesus. So when Anna's potential husband is like known to be a molester and it comes out that he's like an abuser of women and he and like he gets convicted for being a head of like the belief is still, oh, well, he just needs to find Jesus again. And then right. Either either he never found Jesus in the first place and he's got to turn around and do that or he found Jesus, but then he lost Jesus. Um, like, you know, those sunglasses that you know you put in your glove box, but you can't find them now. Yeah. So the official Duggar story is that Anna's parents and Anna knew about Josh's original crimes against his sisters before they were married. And we don't have any reason to think that this is a flat out lie, but we also don't know if they knew the extent of what he did or if it was seriously downplayed. Because we all know that what Josh did was the Holt family didn't get the whole truth. They didn't have all the details based on Bobby Holt's testimony at his trial or evidentiary hearing for his trial. But back to Esther Schrader, in the years before Anna and Sex Pest ever became a thing, there was a preacher, Rick Schrader, in Texas who had a son named John. And John was, quote unquote, rebellious. 
He was breaking the IBLP rules. Specifically, he wanted to date. John had a come-to-Jesus moment somehow, and he decided that actually what he needed was not to date. What he actually needed was to just get married so he could, quote-unquote, take care of these, quote-unquote, sinful desires. So he asked his dad to find him a wife, which is what you do in the IBLP. You ask your parents to find you a courtship. So Rick Schrader, John's dad, wrote to Mike Keller and asked, hey, do you know of someone who would make a good wife for my son? And Mike Keller just sent them his daughter like some kind of fundy mail-order bride. That is extremely biblical. True. Also (laughs) rather creepy. So the precedent is set by Esther Keller Schrader, that you you marry someone to save them from themselves. You marry someone to fix them. And I think this sheds a lot of light on why Mike Keller thought it was a good idea to pawn his other daughter off to the Duggar family to fix their problem child. Ladies, if a man needs fixing, he's not ready to be married yet, right? Am I am I right about that? If it if there is a, a moral or like integrity problem that needs fixing. Then, yeah, yeah he needs if, to like, do that on his own. If he doesn't know how to put his socks in a hamper, you're probably fine. <laughs> anyway, like, I'm extremely confused because, like, he gets this letter. He says, I've got a son that is freaking out right now. He's super horny. What should I do? What What's the response? He's just like, here's my daughter. Go nuts. But they got to get married fast. Like, what? But this is the same That's- guy who would freak the heck out if his daughter wanted to wear a skirt above her knees because some guy on the street might look at her kneecaps and have feelings about it. But he's okay with sending her off to marry this guy to save him from his horniness. Yeah, the only thing that he knows about this dude is that he's just like a horn dog for sure. He's just like it's some weird fundy logic. Like, yeah, like does this guy know what his future wife looks like beforehand? Like, has he seen a picture? In I, all reality, I don't know how that went down. I would have to. So the story is that she went to go work at Rick Schrader's church for a few months and they got to know each other that way and then john asked her to be in a courtship oh yeah well that's better i guess that's not just i mean the intention that she was going was that she was going there to get married to him the whole time so it's not really much better i mean the way you described it i thought he was like putting packing her into a refrigerator box with like some bubble wrap and like styrofoam packing peanuts and just being like like he puts her in a wedding dress first and says (laughs) unpack at the chapel like I, I mean, the intention is pretty much that. It's just the actual um, execution is not exactly that. But uh, Anna, man. as Esther's younger sister, definitely saw this pattern of you marry some guy that dad picks for you and it's your job to fix him. Yeah. Just want to reiterate, marrying a man because you think you can change him is not a good idea. The other thing, before I keep on moving with this, I do want to talk about John and Esther's children because they have a really interesting array of names. Their kids are Enoch, Alethea, Timothy, Nehemiah, Agape, Elijah, Cheris, Sophia, Stephen, Isaiah, Caleb, and Joseph. This just, it stuck out to me because some of these names are really out there, like creative names. Some of them are fine and some of them are nice names and just like nice biblical names. And it was, it was odd to me to see such a range. There's, there are some like weird, like Nehemiah. That's, that's just not one that you hear very much. 
So believe it yeah. or not, you're, you are going to hear it again in a minute. So hold on to that one as well. Okay. Some of the Keller family, uh, like John and Esther's family, has very much stuck to the IBLP way. Three of the other older children have gone their own way, split dramatically from the IBLP way of life, and they have their socials set to private. So I don't want to involve them in this episode other than to say that one of the brothers did offer to financially help Anna escape Josh way back in 2015. Wow. Man, things could have gotten so differently for her. Yep, but she wow. did not take that opportunity. Well, one sister of Anna's that comes up a lot in Fundy Snark Spaces is Priscilla. She's married to David Waller, who is from yet another big IBLP family. He was present at the trial. I don't believe Priscilla was. I don't tend to snark on Priscilla too harshly. She and her husband are both super cringy, but also she got kicked in the head by a horse. So I don't know what amount of cringe she comes by naturally and what isn't her mm. fault. So based on that, I tend to not judge her too harshly other than to just really wish she was not involved with the IBLP. Ow. The, the last thing I want to cover in the Keller family is, of course, the connection to the Rodriguez family. So one of the younger Keller children, Nathan, married Nuree Rodriguez. Despite Jill's constant drama, they do seem to be really happy and actually like each other, which is nice. They had their first baby last year, who is also named Nehemiah. So the Kellers have two grandchildren, both named Nehemiah. And people think that Nathan and Nuri are going to try to do the thing where all of the kids have the same first initial. So Nuri is, she's the one that got in the car crash and then J-Rod put makeup on her while she was in the hospital to make the Instagram look better. Yes. Nuri really seems to be Jill's golden child. Uh, she lives in Florida with Nathan and the Keller family now, and they really look happy. And I hope that's true. They did recently get a citation for not having the baby in a car seat when they got into a car accident, which is not okay. I always want fundies to break out, and I never want them to go through extreme pain and suffering to make that happen. But also, I'm very peeved at them for not having their baby in a car seat. We recently found out this new kernel of drama. This is from the Fundy Snark Uncensored subreddit. It was posted anonymously, so I don't have a secondary source. So you gotta just take it for what you will. But what we know for a fact is that before Nathan and Nuria's wedding, Jill Rodriguez was following Anna Duggar on Instagram. And after the wedding, Jill unfollowed her. A source on Reddit oh. says that they were a former babysitter for the Rodriguez family and they were at the wedding and they know why. According to this person who claims to know the Rodriguez family, Anna Duggar made some snide comment about Nuri's wedding dress, and Jill overheard it. Now, as previously discussed, Anna Duggar has no room to snark when it comes to wedding dresses because she got married in basically an oversized t-shirt and trash bag-looking dress. But this would explain why Jill was super passive-aggressive about posting on Instagram that Nuri's new father-in-law, aka Anna's dad, said that Nuri's dress was the prettiest wedding dress he'd ever seen. That would make sense why Jill made such a big deal of posting that. So take it with a grain of salt because it's just a person on the internet saying something, but I love this theory and because I love it and it brings me joy, I am choosing to fully believe it. Wow. That is a serious question though. Um, I know that it, despite all the preaching, you know, about like sin of gossip or whatever, you know, like funny's always talking 
behind each other's back. Like it, we, we know they do it, even though it's like the sin of gossip. Is snarking on the dress of somebody whose wedding you were invited to and thing in the fundy world, or is 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 it just as bad as it is in the regular world? I'm genuinely confused by this choice. Like why anyone would choose to No, this is rude no matter who you are. Some things are universal or should be. And one of those things that is that you never say anything negative about a bride or her appearance at the wedding. If you think the dress is the ugliest thing you've ever seen, you look her in the eye and say, you look so beautiful. Congratulations. That's it. Fundies know this. This is not etiquette that's lost on the fundies. If Anna really said that, she is an awful rude person. This is not a fundy thing. I'm glad that they adhere to at least this standard of decency. In your personal opinion, as somebody who has seen extensive footage of Anna Duggar uh, from watching the show and various, do you, like, do you believe that this uh, would be in character for her? Is it in character for the personality she portrayed on the show? No. But is it in character for everything else I have ever heard about her outside the show? Absolutely. Yeah, and we all know that reality TV is fake anyway. What? No way. There's no way that reality TV is fake. <laughs> I have no anyway, idea what you're like, talking about. To, like, is it ever okay to criticize somebody's wedding choices as tacky, though? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just not at the wedding. The idea that I always heard was that you never say anything until you're in the car on the way home, because while you're at the event, you never know who's going to overhear and who it's going to get back to. Okay, I'm glad that there's because like there has to be a line somewhere. So like if you get say you get invited to a wedding and it's in a barn uh, and it's like lit by candles in mason jars, it's absolutely fine for you to label this wedding as basic AF as long as you do so in the car on the way home and you're not at the wedding. Yes. Just making that clear. Okay. Yes. And I do want to make the disclaimer that... um. I personally don't care if things are basic if I like them, and neither should you. But once you're in the car with the people you came with, it's fair game, unless you don't trust somebody you came with, I guess. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Okay, like if I get inv invited to a wedding, I'm not so much concerned as with the aesthetics, but I'm concerned with the food situation and whether or not there is an open bar. Maybe that's the problem, because Duggar weddings and Fundy weddings are always dry weddings. And often the food situation is popcorn and cupcakes in a parking lot. But we're we're gonna get down. We're gonna get to parking lot receptions as we work down the list of Duggar in-laws here. So so speaking of weddings, I probably should point out before we leave the Keller family that Anna's youngest sibling Daniel is now married to Hannah Reber, who is the daughter of the people that were Josh's court-appointed babysitters while he was on house arrest pending trial. So as we're working our way down the Duggar-related people, we have arrived now at Jill and Derek Dillard. These two are people that I have actually heard of, uh, so that makes them A-tier uh Duggar, Duggarinos, Duggarites, what are we calling them? <laughs> Duggarinos. Really, I really like the name Jill Dillard because in my head, I always read it as Jillard. And I do not know why that's satisfying for me. So I will not be taking any questions. It makes me think of like a duck, like a mallard, you know? Yeah. No, I can see it. I don't know. I just, I just think it's satisfying. Well, well, D her, her last name is is Duggar, which has the duh sound. His name is Derek, which has the k sound. So it could be Duck Mallard. I, I don't know where I'm 
I'm going with this. It's somebody else has got to hear that in their head. Like I see it written down and I think duck mallard and I see Jill Duggar and Derek Dillard. And I think duck mallard. That is I'm sorry. I've been... No, no, that was a really great insight into how your brain works. Um, Jill is my guilty pleasure Duggar. And I can say that because this is my show and I can't get kicked off my own show for being too nice. That is not intended as a slam at the Duggars snark Reddit community. I get it. The moderators have to draw the line somewhere. Every community has to have rules. But I have to be careful what I say about Jill on there because they will kick you out if you're too nice to the Duggars. Really? Yeah. And I, I have I, I feel a little too positively about Jill and Derek for them. <laughs> Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. So I don't know anything about these people um, on purpose, by the way. Um, I have zero opinions on which ones are good and which ones are bad or which ones are bad and which ones are less bad, except for Josh, because I know that he's a pedophile. So he's the worst. So, so Jill and Derek, they met because Derek was a missionary in Nepal and Jim Bob was one of his prayer partners. Don't ask me what prayer partner specifically means, because I'm honestly not clear on that. I just know that they called each other on the phone a lot. So I've got a question here about this. Then, So if you're a man, if you're a young man in the IBLP and you meet some like older fundy man, I like is your M.O. going to just be like to go to this guy and be like, oh, this man must have daughters. I should get in good with him. So he'll like throw one of them my way. Yeah. Getting close to a man with several daughters is trying to put yourself on track for the dad to pick one of his daughters who he thinks would be a good match for you. Actually, I had two different IFB pastors that I know of who tried to do this to my dad, like buddy up to him so they could get their sons to marry me. Two, You had two suitors. Apparently. Yeah. So you, wow. You must have been like a prize hog. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably just because I played piano well. And uh, as we know from Dating with the Porpoise, that is a qualification for a pastor's wife. Yeah, man. When that guy was like, what, what uh, qualities do I want? I, man, she's got to sing solos. She's got to play piano. I yeah, guess, and I don't like, sing solos, but I did play piano really well at that age. I was playing pianist. for church. So yeah, getting close to a man with several daughters is trying to put yourself on track for that. So one of the two men that was trying to apparently set me up with his son, I just found out about while I was in Alabama last month for my dad's funeral. Um, really? Yeah. <laughs> I may have to do that story another time. The other one I knew about because he did it right in front of me. <laughs> what? Oh, no. Like how? 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 How does this go down? <laughs> okay, I should have known that you would want details. Okay. Um. Of course, I want the. This is what. Tell me everything about. I this forgot story. I hadn't told this one on the podcast. Yo, this... So my dad was pastoring in the St. Louis area and this guy comes through. I won't be too specific, but he's like a missionary or an evangelist, that kind of guy that would be traveling through churches, raising support for the thing that he's doing. And he knew my dad back in the day in college. So he stopped at our church on a Sunday morning to like do his missionary or evangelist thing. He comes through. I was maybe like 15 or 16. I was playing piano for church and doing stuff for the services on Sunday. And my dad did what IFB pastors do. And he let this guy stand up in church and tell the church about his ministry, ask the church to pray for him, whatever. 
I cannot remember if this guy did the main sermon on that day or if he just stood up in church and talked about his ministry that he was doing. Anyway, after church, we did what IFB preachers do, and we took the traveling preacher guy out to lunch at a restaurant. It's just kind of expected that you provide a meal for people who come through. It's how the Rodriguez's eat. If wait, so if they have like they have a lot of kids. 12 or 13. Yeah. So if the Rodriguez's come to your church, do you have to like take their entire family out to eat? Not if they just show up. But if you invite them to come to your church, you do have to take the entire family out to eat. If they just show up, you have to have a very awkward huddle with the pastor and the assistant pastors about like, well, do we are we obligated to feed these people? Do we have to feed these people? And then you like him and haw about it. And then you probably end up taking them to McDonald's or something. That sounds super awkward. But like with that many kids, I can imagine that that becomes a problem real quick. Yeah. And a lot of the people that are going to be traveling through are the kind of people who have like 12 kids. So it's it's a whole conundrum. Yeah. And IFB churches don't make any money anyway. So. Right. So it's like a whole thing. It's a whole thing. So we take this guy out to eat. And as soon as we get to the restaurant, he's just hovering over me going on and on about he's got a son my age. His son is called to be a preacher. His son is so handsome. His son is going to Bible college. He's been praying for a good wife for his son. Boy, would I love my son to marry some girl like you who could play piano and who's going to be an asset when she's serving in a church one day. Brother Carpenter, (laughs) your daughter is just (laughs) exceptional. Is she going to Hiles Anderson College? I've been praying for a wife for my son and he's going to Hiles Anderson College. Just on and on like that for the entire lunch. <laughs> oh, so okay. So how how does your dad re- like? How, I how does he react to this? I don't remember because I was so embarrassed by this man trying to get me married to his son, who I had never met. You know. <laughs> He could, like, he could have gotten like super biblical on him. What they asked him for like seven cows and two sheep? No, no, no. Like he should. If your son wants to marry my daughter, he will have to work for me for seven years. <laughs> That's okay, but my dad didn't have another daughter to switch me out with on the wedding day, so I don't know if that would have worked. Uh, Rachel and Leah, by the way, was one of my dad's favorite Bible stories to dramatize. He would always read that verse. And I have to see if I can imitate him. Hold on. And behold, it was Leah. <laughs> That's how he do it. You ever think he probably thought like oh, Jacob is like a complete scrub. He, he, like and he just made the seven years of labor proposal just to f-ing get rid of him because he didn't think he would take it. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then Jacob yeah. took him up on the deal and he was like, oh, I'm stuck with this guy, but maybe he'll give up and leave after like two years. Yeah, like not only did he like take him up on the deal, but he, like he made the same deal twice with the same guy after he just fully got bait and switched. So I think they got to the, the end of the first seven years and Jacob did such a good job managing the flocks that Laban was like, I got to find some way to keep this guy around for longer. And then that's when he came up with the idea of, oh, I got it. I'm going to do a daughter switch on him. Well, he was like, he was also, he was Jacob's mother's brother. Is that right? Yeah. So Jacob goes out to find a wife. You think that like uh, Rebecca would say to him, hey, just so you know, my brother is not a trustworthy guy. I grew up with him. He's going to pull some kind of prank on you. 
you know, it, like he's marrying into the family. He he can't just be like, you know, you can stick around and manage my flocks, and then when I die, you'll get my flocks, right? Like he made this guy work for him for seven years. He's clearly like a reliable employee and deserves to be like cut in on some of the success of the enterprise for his like hard work and dedication. And then you've got like a whole nother daughter. Right. Like you've got two daughters like that you can like, I don't know, you could trade her for like some livestock or something, you know, like, I don't know. It just seems to me like marrying both of your daughters to the same one of your nephews is not adequate diversification of your assets. It's a funny story, though. <laughs> I did end up did knowing. So the guy out? whose dad really tried to get him to marry me, I did end up knowing the guy at HAC. Like we were students at Hiles Anderson at the same time. And he ended up being one of my friends. And and then I dated one of his roommates at one point. But I don't think either one of us was ever remotely interested in dating each other. Did like what's the car ride home like with your dad and your brothers after that and your mom? So as I recall, my parents didn't bring it up. Like they didn't debrief me from that situation. I think their internal monologue was probably yeah, that was embarrassing for that guy. He went way too far with that. But we're not going to criticize another pastor in front of our kids. I asked them about it years later. And their reaction was just like, yeah, that was kind of weird. But they didn't seem shocked by it, which makes me wonder how many marriages people tried to broker with them if it didn't really stand out as a weird thing. I'm sure talking like talking about like with you immediately afterwards would have made it way, 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 way more awkward even. I mean, how would you have felt as like if you were like 16 and some some classmate of yours from school's mother was friends with your mother and she came over to your house after school and all she did was talk about how much her daughter should date you? Because mm. I'd imagine pretty awkward is how it would make you feel. I don't like I having met your dad though I can just imagine like on the car ride home him being like you know uh, uh Sadie we should really get you in contact with that guy's son you could you could marry him you'd be a you'd be a great wife <laughs> just making oh, fun just, of like you making it worse because he couldn't yeah <laughs> just <laughs> if it <sighs> I mean, that would have him in like in recent years, that would have been more him at the time. I think he would have felt like he couldn't criticize somebody else who was a preacher because that would have been against the rules. He would have done it. He would have been doing it in his head, though. I can guarantee you that. I'm glad he got out of fundamentalism uh, for a long enough time that he could really let his his inner comedian and prankster and like funny guy shine. Um Oh my but in my in my head canon, from what you've told me, pre deconstruction Sadie was like a five star recruit, extremely sought after uh, wife material. Uh, Nick Saban is like calling the house night and day, uh, trying to fly you out. <laughs> so I want to go back to Derek Dillard. If you want to play for the tide? <laughs> I want to go back to Derek, Derek Dillard or we're never going to get through this episode. Yeah. So going back to Joel and Derek, the thing that is weird to me is that Derek wasn't IBLP and he wasn't even a standard fundy missionary. He was in Nepal doing medical and emergency aid work and also Jesus. 
And the IFP doesn't do that. They do Jesus and then medical and emergency aid if they absolutely have to to not look like dicks. So I really don't understand why Jim Bob was prayer partners with a guy who wasn't IBLP and wasn't doing the kind of mission work that they normally do, like laser focused on salvation. So what do you think that Jim Bob saw in this man, Derek? I think Jim Bob thought that Jill and Derek would make a good pair because Derek was involved in medical missions type stuff. And Jill had always wanted to be a midwife and use those skills in a missions environment. And Derek was apparently in these many phone calls, apparently able to impress Jim Bob with his spirituality, his dedication to prayer and doctrine and that kind of thing. So if you are like a patriarch, say say you're like a, the patriarch of a big fundy family, you're like Jim Bob, um, and you're looking for husbands for your daughters, is it a little like trying to put together like a superhero squad? Absolutely. So I've mentioned this. Oh, yeah. So I've mentioned before that it's odd to me that out of all of the Duggar children, none of the boys have grown up to be pastors or full time missionaries. So I think Jim Bob might have married Jill off to Derek because he thought they were going to be full time missionaries. He married Jessa off to Ben, who's a pastor. And he even let evil Calvinist Jeremy marry Ginger because Jeremy's training to be a pastor. It's like one husband is going to be good at preaching. One husband's going to be good at medical stuff. One husband's going to be good at like PR. One's going to be like a politician. One's going to be like good at computers uh, for and use those skills for evil. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, you don't want to be good at computers in that family. No. Uh, one husband is going to have a mind for business. Like, even if they're like not 100% right spiritual, like with their spiritual, like you could fix that. You can get that ironed out. You can get them like on on the right track. Yeah, I think that Jim Bob thought that Derek would get with the IBL pro- IBLP program and fall in line and be his missionary son-in-law. Well, fall in love and fall in line. That's what they say. What else is flirt and convert, right? <laughs> yes, or flirty fishing. Yeah, flirty fishing or using your feminine wiles. I was perplexed about Derek's religious background because I know it's not strictly IBLP, but what I couldn't figure out was how wide the gap was between his upbringing and Jill's. So I did some digging on this one. According to the Dillard family blog, Derek was raised in Lakeside Baptist Church in Rogers, Arkansas, which is a Southern Baptist church. Just from poking around on their website, they look like a pretty typical Southern Baptist church, maybe a little bit on the conservative side. When Derek went to college, he attended Eagle Heights Baptist Church in Stillwater, Oklahoma, which is also a Southern Baptist church. But we've just the IBLP isn't like strictly IFB, though, either. So like you could be Southern Baptist and IBLP, like even some like Calvinists could conceivably be IBLP. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I wasn't able to find any kind of evidence that the Dillards were ever affiliated with the IBLP. I found Derek's LinkedIn, and that says that he graduated from Rogers High School. So clearly he was not homeschooled. So that's an automatic DQ from the ATI, which is the homeschooling branch of the IBLP. He was also a Boy Scout involved in the Model UN and a swim teacher and lifeguard, all of which are strong signs that his family was not overly conservative and not involved in the IBLP. Model UN? Yeah, the fundies think the UN is evil, so... They think the UN is like the New World Order trying to bring about the Antichrist. Wow. Exactly. Yeah, Derek also went to Oklahoma State University, and of course, going to real college is another sign that this is not an IBLP family. Yeah, so one thing that we do know about Jim Bob Duggar is that he is a man of principles. 
but he is perfectly willing, even happy to break from those principles if for some reason he decides that it's advantageous. But the question stands, how did Jim, Bob, and Derek become prayer partners to begin with? Is the mystery of Jim, Bob, and Derek, like how they met, is that like for the Duggar Snarkers? Is that something they have like theories about? Like it's the fundy version of like who Jon Snow's parents are? Weirdly, no, but maybe somebody will post the answer that I missed when they hear this episode. I didn't spend hours and hours looking for this, so I may have missed a step somewhere, but I just was not able to find how they crossed each other's paths to begin with. So maybe Derek was trying to get some Baptist street cred by having a famous guy like Jim Bob be his prayer partner, and then also hoping to get in good with one of the daughters. I think this probably had to happen a lot, boys calling Jim Bob to try to get a wife, because Jim Bob had several young, pretty daughters at any given time. And I know that I've heard from some Duggar source that Jim Bob would get calls because people would see his kids on TV and call trying to get close to the family to try to date one of his kids. As much as we snark on the Duggar jeans, or the Duggar boys, at least for having really bad jeans... The girls are really pretty. So it could it could be that or it could be that Jim Bob called Derek. Maybe Jim Bob was trying to look really spiritual by praying for missionaries. Or maybe Jim Bob is just so arrogant that he thinks that any given missionary in the world would benefit from his guidance and mentorship. And he wanted like a diversity hire from the Southern Baptists. Or maybe Jim Bob called Derek to try to get rid of Jill because she was always the outspoken kind of boat rocking daughter. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Th- so the more that I learned about the IVLP and the Duggars, the more I realized that this is just like an huge scam. You know what I'm saying? Like, it- it's just like a marketing front for all of like the homeschool materials. Like you-, you just make your wives and daughters dressed like restrictively and then brainwash them into saying how happy they are so people will buy into this whole lifestyle and then just like continually pay tons and tons and tons and tons of money this is so nuts honestly it reminds me of certain mlms especially the health and wellness ones because they will say that their product can help with anything like you got migraines plexus need to lose weight plexus Mm -hmm. cramps ibs anger issues depression stubbed your toe plexus And the IBLP is the same way. They promise that they can fix any problem you might have. If you've got an issue, the IBLP has a solution. But you have to give us money. (laughs) The solution is give us money. or No, actually, the solution is be pregnant for 20 years straight. Yes, and give us money so that we can remind you to be pregnant for 20 years straight. RIP your uterus. Uh, Not my Uh. uterus. My uterus is good. Uh, okay, so so here's a question for you. Here's another question. When you were growing up, how did you view people who were IBLP, who were in that? My dad always called them Gothardites, um, by which he was criticizing them for following a person more than the scripture. We, we didn't separate from them in the fundy terms. We associated with plenty of people who were IBLP. I knew a lot of IBLP kids from the fine arts competition. I did at SM Davis's church. I also encountered them here and there at like summer camp, youth conferences, camp meetings, that kind of thing. But our view of them was that we followed the scripture because we did not realize that we actually followed Jack Hiles, not the scripture. <laughs> But we thought, oh, we're the ones who are following the Bible. They're following Bill Gothard instead of following God. So you didn't see them as like more pure or just like able to be more strict or what was? No, it was more like uh, they take certain things too far, but they're doing their best. Specifically clothing and courtship. 
I was raised with the same concept of don't give pieces of your heart away to people until you meet your spouse. But for the IFB, that meant don't date indiscriminately. Don't date somebody you couldn't see yourself marrying. Don't move forward into a serious relationship without praying about it and getting counseling. And don't kiss or hold hands until your wedding day. For the IBLP, that same don't give pieces of your heart away concept means only have very limited contact with the opposite gender. Don't date. Don't really get to know anyone and have your courtship with your spouse be your first and only relationship. So it's almost like so you guys are like regular vegans who just don't want to hurt animals. You know what I'm saying? And the IBLP are like raw vegan and sugar free Mm. and gluten free. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, which because it all seems like, oh, that's extra because those things like you don't really have to do if you want to protect the animals and not to in any way compare being vegan to being a fundy because. But that's an excellent analogy because we didn't think that they were wrong. We just thought that they were trying harder than necessary to be right. And as I've said before, I was super jealous of the IBLP kids because they got to hold hands before marriage. I did not understand how much more intense the IBLP was for people growing up in it. I actually thought that the Duggars were really liberal with their side hugs and handholding. Side hugs, man. Side hugs, side hugs, side hugs that get you almost expelled from Colt College. Oh. Well, we're going to talk about a whole more, a whole bunch more side hugs here. But before we do that, let's go take up the offering. Let's come back and let's get into some some side hugs. <laughs> Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, That group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. We are Bizak. Oh, I don't know where that came from. What are we talking about? We're talking about Jill and Derek uh, and marriage is what brings us together today. Jill and Derek got married way back in 2014. Jill was the second Duggar and the first Duggar daughter to get married by just a couple months. Uh, Jessa got married later in the same year. 
So there are a couple of, and that started the whole uh, just entire line of Duggar children. <laughs> just a lot of times there's two in a year, which is just a lot. There are a couple of wedding details that I want to hit from Jill and Derek's wedding. Are these details snarkable? Yes, possibly. But remember, this is my guilty pleasure, Duggar, so you're going to have to be the mean one. <laughs> Poor Jill. I feel like she actually has a good bit of personality, and it was so squashed by the Duggars and the IBLP, so she tried to show it in her wedding uh, by famously going barefoot for the ceremony. She also had an outdoor reception and Michelle's wedding dress on display. There isn't anything wrong with an outdoor wedding, is there? No, I or don't like think so. barefoot? No. I mean, you might step on a bee. Well, she was but... barefoot inside. Oh, okay. Well, which is still fine. I feel like, and they don't have dancing, so you're not going to like. No, I feel like I would so, either yeah. do a shoes on inside wedding or a shoes off outside wedding. I was, I wasn't yeah. the biggest fan of the the shoes off inside thing. Shoes shoes off inside is a little okay. I'll, I'll let it slide though. That's not like a. So I think what's snarkable is that that is the low low bar for being super unique at your wedding in Fundy World. I think most people, if you say, oh, their wedding was really out there, it was really unique, most people would think of like the Portlandia episode with the big nylon parachute and all the chairs in a circle, not not wearing shoes. I take it that no Duggar weddings begin with a land acknowledgement. Yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) That's what happens if you get married in Portland. You go to a wedding in Portland, it begins with a land acknowledgement. Portland has become Portlandia in all of the lampoonable ways and in none of the like beautiful, peaceful way to li- place to live ways. So Jill is one What's of... What's wrong with land acknowledgments, man? I, don't, I mean, I, don't I guess like... I don't think there's anything wrong with them. I just wish like along with that, we also had like beautiful streets and communities and the local government could do something about safety and the homelessness epidemic in the city if i'm getting married maybe the thing that i don't want to think about is genocide that's all i'm gonna say see i have not been to a wedding with a land acknowledgement although i've been to quite a few events that had them so i don't want to i don't want to give my opinion on the wedding because i haven't seen it i feel like with many things along those lines there is there is a like a tactful and appropriate way to do such a thing and then there is a way to do such a thing that it takes the attention away from what you're actually there for also, the thing that I just realized was that I'm Jewish, so like there is absolutely going to like be an undertone of genocide at my wedding. Uh- <laughs> and you're just realizing that. Yeah, I, I said, okay. uh, I don't want to think about genocide at my wedding. And I'm like, oh, wait, I'm Jewish. I think about genocide every fucking day. <laughs> so Jill is one of the Duggar girls. Um, speaking of terrible things, Jill is one of the Duggar girls who has come out as one of Josh's original victims. But she got married before, just before this all the scandal broke. Which makes it incredibly gross that Josh was the MC for her reception, and in his speech he referred to her as a tattletale. Uh, I just I feel bad for her for that. Imagine having your secret trauma that you're not allowed to talk about get dragged up like that on your wedding day. So he called her a tattletale at her wedding in reference to her getting him in trouble because he molested her. Yep. In front of a thousand people most of whom did not know what he was referring to on her wedding day. What the fuck? What the Man. I Okay, I knew that Josh Duggar was literally the worst because he's 
what I don't know how many times do I have to say it? he is currently uh in jail awaiting sentencing for being a pedophile but like what the f- this is like this is why we hate him because it's the original story that we were sold is like oh he was a young boy and he was too curious about girls and he oopsie he sinned but it's not just that he was a teenager and molested his siblings who were small children it is also that he gloated about it to their face for years like he seemingly enjoyed continuing to reopen that wound and cause more pain so as the details of the original molestation scandal and then the ashley madison scandal broke and 19 kids and counting got canceled and then counting on started jill was a central figure in all of that and she and derek started showing little signs of breaking away from the main iblp teachings pretty early so how long did it was it between like them getting married and like them starting to break out not very long at all, especially in fundy time, because they got married in June 2014, immediately got pregnant with their first kid, had their first kid in April 2015. Then May 2015, the original scandal broke and 19 kids and counting got canceled, <clears throat> which poor Jill to have that happen a month after you have a baby. That sucks. Oof. And then the Megan Kelly interview where Jill and other sisters gave very scripted answers about forgiveness was that same summer of 2015. So Derek was never really in the whole IBLP thing for long to begin with. No, because I think from later interviews that Jill has given, they went to therapy and started rethinking things really quickly after that Megan Kelly interview summer of 2015. It just didn't show up publicly until around 2018. That's when Jill posted pictures where she had gotten a nose ring and pictures of her in pants started to pop up online. I am 99% sure that Jill was the first Duggar daughter to wear pants in public. So in your experience, how common is it for like a young woman raised in fundamentalism to get married and then start to break out with her husband like soon thereafter marriage becomes the path to escaping being like under your father's control i think you have to consider that women who are raised fundamentalist are trained not to have thoughts or goals of their own they're trained to completely depend on a man for all of that so someone like jill I'm positive that she had thoughts that were contrary to the IBLP all along. Like I had thoughts that were contrary to the IFB from the time I was a child, but she just didn't have any pathway to express those thoughts or any option to try to do something differently. She was just stuck doing whatever her father said to do. So when she got married, she was now transferred over to doing whatever her husband thought, not what her dad thought. And it just so happens that Derek came from this relatively more normal family, and Derek is probably complementarian in his beliefs. So Derek is probably more along the lines of the husband has the final say, but couples should make decisions together and the wife should get a real voice in that process. So it could be that he sat her down and said, I don't care if you wear jeans, do whatever you think God wants you to do. Or it could even be, and I would hope that it is, that Jill feels safe enough with him that she approached him at some point like, uh, husband dear, may I please wear jeans? And he was like, of course, why are you asking me? I think it's fine, but do whatever God wants you to do. And I do think that Jill and Derek are a pretty good match. You can tell by the way that they look at each other that there is real affection there. And I would think and I would hope that she does feel safe with him on that level. So we've heard from like countless listeners, though, 
with it like they're, they're having independent thoughts right i mean because you're, you're saying like you're, you're taught not to have independent like we know that that we know even from your story women are going to have independent thoughts but like you're getting married at 20 21 22 23 a lot of them basically got coerced into marriages a lot of the the people that we hear from and you know after a year or two you've got a child maybe two children and then even more things start like are, are continually tying them back to the community and then there's no way out and there's no way out. And then eventually, I don't know, it's it's nice to see that sometimes, you know, you uh, a, a woman gets married and instead of just being like, OK, now pop out like a million children and erase your brain. You know, sometimes she's like, OK, maybe we take a step back from this. Uh, this is like my ticket out. Yeah, I think that's dependent on the integrity and the true character of the man that she marries because if he's never taken half a second to rethink this i have to be in charge of everything mindset she is going to get in that cycle where she's got children she's dependent on the community for child care she's dependent on her husband financially completely dependent um and then just there isn't a good pathway out like we've talked about with anna so I think I think a lot of it depends on the nature of the man that she ended up married to, which, of course, she has no way of knowing until they're already married. Mm, so it's kind man. of blind luck. Yeah. Oof. So Jill and Derek, um, they got married with the intention of doing mission work. They have done some mission work, but they are back in Arkansas now and they've been going through deconstruction and it has just been long and difficult and slow for them uh, around the same time as the nose ring and the pants. Just when people were ready to jump on the Jill and Derek stand train, Derek just went on a really unfortunate transphobic Twitter rant and cyberbullied a child. And so that was Jazz Jennings. You may have heard her name. She's now a young adult. But at the time, she was a teenage transgender girl. And she got a reality show about her life after coming out, like what it's like to be a trans teenager, that sort of thing, on TLC, which is the same network that Counting On was airing on at the time. And Derek was really upset about having to share a television network with a trans person and just went off on jazz on twitter as great as i think it is that transgender representation is on uh, television especially for like young people i would not want to be a transgender teenager in the public eye in any way Mm -hmm. absolutely not no thank you not not for me yes same Uh, here so jazz is a tough cookie and i'm glad that her story i haven't seen any episodes of her show but i'm glad that her story is being told And I'm glad that this representation exists, but I know that she just takes all kind of heat. And I I don't get that because if you believe that what she's doing with her life, living as who she really is, is a sin, but you supposedly love her and care about her and would want her to become a Christian, the answer is not to bully her and make her think that all Christians are hateful. Also, cyberbullying people who are legally children when you are a grown adult is like garbage tier behavior no matter what. But just like adding the extra layer of bigotry on, it's like a, a, a trash parfait. It, it's really disturbing. And Jill and Derek have just not deconstructed any of these beliefs about LGBT people yet. And the longer that time goes on, the more I'm just like... Come on, you two. You can do it. You can work on this. Come on. Just for the sake of being specific, Derek said that, quote, transgender is a myth and continually misgendered Jazz while tweeting about her. And purposely misgendering someone is not something I'll stand for because, like certain slurs, 
that can and has and does lead to real-world violence. Having an opinion is a-okay, even if it's a trash opinion, but expressing it in words that have high potential to incite violence is not okay. More recently, they did say that they would be open to having LGBT friends, and they feel like they're supposed to love everyone and be loving to everyone even if they disagree with them. And that is a station that a lot of us visit on the road to deconstruction. I have been to that station, so no judgment for passing through that point of view. But I want to stand Jill and Derek so hard, and there are just a few things they really dig their heels into. I think there's hope for them to continue to work through this stuff. I really want them to. If I were a queer person, if I were an LGBTQ person, I don't think that I would probably want to be friends with Jill and Derek personally. Yeah, I don't know where they're going to be finding these hypothetical gay friends. Like it always seems like that's people's last holdout. You know what I'm saying? When it comes to transphobia, they can like accept ev- like everything, everything. And then like when it comes to transgender people, they're just like, no, it's too weird. I don't like like, you know, it's that it's, or it's yeah. um social welfare, social welfare programs and anti-capitalism. Those are the two things that seem to always be the last one to break, which is interesting because it makes you wonder um, if that's just because those are the things that are programmed the hardest into people. I've gotten into a lot of conversations about uh, the idea of solving homelessness with housing for all programs. And I've taken a lot of flack from people who thought that they had deconstructed everything, but they suddenly realized that they hadn't when I brought up the idea of just giving people places to live. Well, especially like, where do we live? We live somewhere where like homeless is just like out of control. Like, would you, would you rather like, I mean, I don't know about you. Like we live in the same neighborhood, but like you walk down the sidewalk between me and my grocery store, you pass like at least five, six, seven people living under like a tarp, mm-hmm. various tarps, tents, like on, on the sidewalk. You know, I, would you rather see that or would you rather see like, would you rather not see that and have them somewhere that's like protected from the elements? You know, it's like, even if it's my tax dollars, like it's worth it to me. I, I feel like the, the no. bootstrap ideas really seem unproductive when you see the extent of homelessness in Portland every day. Like when you, pa- when you pass by tents and camps literally every time you leave the house for years, when you know homeless people, when there are people who, when it's a safe situation that you've gotten to know and have a conversation with, and when you see the different, the range of different reasons that people become homeless, for me, that really broke me out of the the idea of, oh, they just don't want to work or, or the, the, that pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. I said this, I think, in the How to Break Somebody Out of a Cult episode. Of course, I want everybody to think like me because that's a human trait. Every human wants everybody to think like them. But I try to be realistic and I want to understand that not everybody is going to come to the point that I come to and it's a more realistic goal to get people out of hateful and harmful views. Jill and Derek, um, they are so close to me feeling like, oh, they've, they've really gotten out, like they're done. Um, they've come as about as far as you can expect them to come. But there is... They're, they're, they're really, the issues are, there was some like very rabid Trump supporting from them a couple of years ago, but I haven't seen anything recently. And then there's some, some toxic um, comments about LGBT people. The thing is that when you publicly say things like Derek did, uh, a lot of his mess has been on Twitter. It's an extra step to dial that back because if you outgrow those beliefs, you have to publicly dial back what you've said and apologize. So I always wonder if Derek 
doesn't already regret, for example, what he said to Jazz, but if he deconstructs those beliefs, if he changes his heart, he has to also change his Twitter feed. If he deconstructs Mm. that, he has to publicly apologize. And that's scary because he's outing himself as an advocate. He's put himself in a position where he is either a transphobe or a repentant ally. And maybe he's outgrown being a transphobe, but he's not ready to be a repentant ally. So he is stuck with what he said like four years ago. Yeah. And I mean, it's different if you say those things, if you're in the public eye versus if you're not in the public eye, because if you're not in the public eye, you can just be like, oh, I'm going to delete my account and then start a new one. And like, no one knows. Right. (laughs) And Derek has put himself in a position where that is not an option for him because the Internet is forever. So that's not a good excuse for allowing your previous transphobic statements to stand. Uh, And I know that that is not an acceptable excuse to our trans listeners but i i I get the feeling that that could be what's going on with him and our listeners who don't have cult experience might not understand or you might understand why this is scary and why it's hard but i've i've been there and i really that's my reasoning behind still having a lot of hope for jill and derek Oh, I did want to say, um, if you want to learn, <clears throat> if you want to learn more about the Christian response to homelessness, I'm jumping backwards a little bit, but please follow Kevin Nye on Twitter. It's Kevin M Nye N Y E one. So Kevin M N Y E one. So just to just to kind of wrap up, Jill and Derek, um, they've been they've copped to drinking alcohol on Instagram. Uh, they famous Scandalous. they famously did an advertisement for a Christianized version of the Kama Sutra. Wait, they did an advertisement for this? Yes, <laughs> it was like it was like a Christian marriage subscription box or something. <laughs> they've also bragged about their sex life in like Instagram lives. Um, oh. That's, I mean, like good for them, but also, uh. I don't know. I feel like if you brag about it, then it's probably like maybe a bit of overcompensation. Well, Derek has consistently you know? just been messy on Twitter about the money for counting on as well. Derek has really, he's like liked tweets about Jim Bob taking all the money from 19 Kids and Counting, not giving the children any of it, even after they were adults. He specifically said that the birth of their first child, they never saw the money from that. And that's shitty. Like, they went through the experience of having the birth filmed, and I would be really, really mad if I had to go through all that and didn't get the money from it. To end this on a positive note, Jill and Derek do practice some kind of birth control. They haven't made public what exactly, but they have said that they are purposely spreading out their children and they don't intend on having a mega huge family. And their two kids go to regular public school, which I think is excellent because if Jill and Derek never fully let go of some of their beliefs, at least we know that their kids are exposed to outside opinions and will hopefully have space to form their own beliefs. Jill and Derek announced that they had a miscarriage in October 2021. They are now pregnant again. They just announced this week that it was a boy that they're expecting, and Jill is due in July of 2022. Mazel tov to the happy couple. And may they continue to grow. I hope that kind of, I hope I did a good job of explaining why I have hope for them because I, I recognize the situation that Derek has put himself into where he now has, he is now in a situation where he must be all the way on one side or the other. So it very well could be that another couple of years pass and then we get a public apology from him and a complete change of heart. And it'll look like it's overnight, but actually it took six years. 
Yeah, you know what? I think that the uh, the the lesson to take from this is if you have an uh, opinion about something that's not really any of your business, then maybe don't share that publicly or you right? do not have to have an opinion about everything. There's a lot of issues that I'm that I like I see I'm just like I am not touching that with a 10-foot pole. No thank so, you. I'm not in in the position to learn enough about that to really feel like I have the a, the right opinion about it so speaking of things that you wouldn't want to touch with a 10-foot pole josh's computer keyboard no it's a router cable oh god oh. Uh, so the next the next dugger to get married uh was jessa and she married ben seawald they're the couple from the mini golf episode i know that yes so in my mind, it was either Jill and Derek or Ginger and Jeremy, but I looked it up for this episode, and you're right. It was Ben and Jessup. I'll tell you what. Do you want to describe this mini golf incident for any listeners who have not been blessed to see the video? Absolutely. Uh, this video, I guess, it is a clip from 17, 16, 14, 13, 12, 19, 1,000 kids and counting however many they were at the time. It is one of the few clips of the show that I am actually familiar with, that I have actually seen. It is vomit-inducing. Uh, it is a scene in which Jim Bob, uh, Jimothy Bobbert, and uh, Michelle are out playing mini golf with Jessa and Ben. Jessa and Ben are not yet married. And Jim Bob is asking Ben how he feels about experimenting with kissing. Yeah, that's his words, not mine. Did you get uh, the just... vision of Ben in like a little scientist coat? <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Yeah, uh, just, you know, he's experimenting with kissing. You know, I feel like that's what he does. You know, after dark, he puts the computer on incognito mode and types in kissing videos uh, <laughs> on, on kisshub.com. Hopefully uh, he gets that video of the couple who the, the famous like cringy first kiss video. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I know what you're talking. Oh, God. That's just it's burned into my mind. Anyway, uh, he's asking them about experimenting with kissing and experimenting with hand-holding. And Ben, yeah, I know, Ben being put on, the, like, what grip do you use? If you're experimenting, what grip do you go with? You go with fingers interlocked or just like, you know, like high-five style or like uh, uh, hands claps, clasping style, like uh, like the meme. I don't know. That's, that's like technique. You got to go with it different. Anyway, um... <laughs> Ben uh, is put on the spot and he has got to give uh, his future father-in-law, potential father-in-law that he's trying to impress a fundy approved answer for this question. And so Jim, Bob and Michelle, meanwhile, are engaging in some PDA to uh, in Jim Bob's worth show the kids what is waiting for them after they are married. Um, I have to commend Ben on keeping his cool in a very uncomfortable looking situation. Jessa just literally couldn't handle it. She just walked away at one point. Yeah, they they did the 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 like the cutaway where she was talking to the camera and she was just like oh, it's so God. bad. Yeah, like if you if you like cringe, 
this video is a cringe gold mine. I will uh like I'll put it's like Scott's Tots level cringe. Okay. It's like I feel completely oh. confident in saying that this is the most cringe Duggar moment of all time. Also, I feel like Jessa's courtship is where Jim Bob's weird possessiveness over his daughter's bodies is the most evident. He may very well have been like that in all of the courtships, but this is the one where it really comes to the forefront. Yeah, like Ben did eventually marry Jess. Like he is currently married to Jessa. So he must have given adequate enough answers to be deemed suitable by Jim Bob. Uh, so that begs the question, what did this young man, uh, Ben Seawall, do to uh, make Jimothy Bobbert find him so appealing? So Ben and Jessa met because his family was traveling through the area. And like Justin talks about on I Pray You Put This Journal Away, the Doug held church at their home and Ben's family visited that home church while going through the area. Ben and Jessa kind of immediately caught each other's eye and then Ben made friends with two of her brothers so that he would have an excuse to keep visiting the Duggars more often and I guess that's kind of cute. That's actually somewhat normal though. So that's... yeah look, that's that's a taste of normalcy that we won't get too much more in this relationship. Ben eventually asked Jim Bob if he could court his daughter, and Jim Bob called Jessa into the room so that Ben could ask her, which gave us one of the other cringiest Duggar moments. I actually want to play audio of this because I feel like people will be able to get a, an experience even without the visual component. Well, uh, we've been praying and talking for a little while and I was just wondering if you wanted to make it official and if you wanted to officially court me. Yes. Hey, I'll tell you what. You can go ahead and give him a sign if you want to. 30 seconds. <laughs> Three seconds, I mean. <laughs> I am literally gagging right now, dude. Uh, I, I tell you what, why don't you give her a side hug? And then like four seconds later, he's like, uh, three seconds, honey. Three seconds. He's literally timing their hugs. There are other clips of Ben and Jessa talking about limiting themselves to side hugs, hello and goodbye. And each hug is timed at 30 seconds. Th that's like a side hug worthy of you being dragged in front of the HAC disciplinary committee for an interrogation from Ken Scop. <laughs> it's, I mean, 31 seconds would be sinful. 31 so, seconds. Like, only you, 30 you, seconds. You know, like, it's just like how it hiles in. They're, they're, like, somebody's out in, like, the, the bushes with a stopwatch timing how long you're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a man to, to see. Yes, because nine minutes and 59 seconds is friendly, but over 10 minutes is a date. Yeah. Oh, uh, man. You know how like a watch is a common birthday gift or like a Father's Day gift? Yeah. You, like last year I got I got my father like a, a a watch you know he told me he needed a new watch because he's broken so I got him I got him one for Father's Day nothing like horribly expensive or anything um but I got him a new watch like I wonder if like you'd get Jim Bob like a new watch for Father's Day and like he'd get really into like the chronograph watch like the chronograph feature so that he can get like a super accurate timing <laughs> when he's timing <laughs> when he's timing his daughter's side hugs. <laughs> So I think that Ben and Jessa have one of the strongest physical connections of all of these couples. 
you can see it in their body language, but they also put stricter limits on themselves than even some of the other couples did. And I think that that's showing that they really felt that physical chemistry and they felt like they needed to be extra careful not to quote unquote sin. What Jim Bob liked so much about Ben is that he came to live on Duggar property and do work for Jim Bob for a while while he was courting Jessa. Just like we were talking about earlier with uh, with uh, uh, Jacob in the book of Genesis. Right. But Jim Bob only made Ben work for one year and he didn't switch Jessa with another daughter. <laughs> there are persistent <laughs> rumors about Ben and Jessa during this time. Oh, specifically that they knew where Jim Bob's outdoor cameras were and they could sneak around the cameras and make out. I can't find hard evidence for or against this, but if they did, all I really have to say is good for them. Yes, because f- secret forbidden love is like 1,000 times hotter than regular love. Uh, but I want to back up to something because you said, so Jim Bob's got outdoor cameras. I can't remember who specifically posted this original rumor, but it was someone on Reddit who seemed legit and had, said they had a connection to the Duggar family. Yeah, whoever posted uh, said that there were cameras. And on one hand, lots of people have cameras outside their house. There were cameras on the church property I grew up on because there were some break-ins while we were in church. But also, I wouldn't put it past Jim Bob to put up cameras just to make sure there were no 31-second side hugs going on. (laughs) (laughs) So the courtship proposal that we listened in on was extremely awkward, like skin-crawlingly awkward. But, unpopular opinion alert, I thought Ben and Jess's engagement was pretty cute. Ben had a treasure hunt, like scavenger hunt thing set up for Jessa where she would get a clue and then she would have to figure out that clue and go to the next location and then there would be another clue there and so on and so forth. Eventually, the clues led to a chapel where Ben had candles and rose petals set up down the aisle and proposed to her on one knee. I know this isn't for everybody. Some people find the idea of an all-day proposal event exhausting, but I thought this was kind of sweet. So Jessa made waves by wearing a pink dress for her wedding. It was a very light blush pink, and it might be my favorite of the Duggar wedding dresses. I don't know. Ginger's was also pretty good. Ginger's had a train and a huge veil, and I am very, very pro train and huge veil. But Jess's dress was legitimately beautiful. They also chose to leave and have their first kiss in private instead of in front of literally 1,000 people, which I respect. So wouldn't that cause doubt? On the theory that Ben and Jessa have been sneaking off to do uh, secret kissing on parts of the Duggar compound. See, I think it actually could support the theory because, really, like I said, these two have the strongest physical chemistry of any Duggar couple, in my opinion. So I think if they were sneaking off to make out, they didn't want to do their first kiss in front of all those people because they might look too experienced and give themselves away. Remember when Heather got in trouble for being too polite to uh, zip off cargo shorts boy at mm-hmm. the ATI training center? Exactly. <laughs> so the, uh, now I'm done with the cute stuff because this is where it starts getting weird. The pastor for Ben and Jess's wedding had Jim Bob and Michelle demonstrate a kiss for the audience. Mm. Lest they be disappointed. He was like, oh, so now you'll get to see a Duggar kiss today. So this continues the weird trend of Jim Bob seeming to have his relationship with his wife just a little too intertwined with Jessa and Ben. That's low key kind of super gross. And by low key, I mean high key. The the, the audience is going to be extremely disappointed if they don't see some serious kissing. Like- it is gross, but also this is a fundy thing. 
I remember going to Fundy Weddings, like, how is the first kiss going to be, was a spectator sport. Really? Yeah. So, pe- so people are like, oh, man, is he going to, like, miss and, like, chomp her nose? Or... <laughs> yes. And Fundies don't take, like, they don't gamble. But there would be, like, a bet-taking environment where you'd be like, oh, well, I think it's going to be super long and he's going to dip her over backwards. And then somebody else would be like, oh, I think they're just going to do a little peck on the lips. And then, like, there, it, it was very, um, yeah, very voyeuristic. The fundies don't know that. <laughs> I think he's going to get his tongue all the way into her eyeball. That's <laughs> <laughs> they've never done it before. That's what's going to happen, man. There or... was there was very much like that culture of I am here to see the kiss, and then you judge quietly. Like, oh, do you think that was really their first kiss? So wow. So like, if he goes to dip her and he drops her, <laughs> that is is that a thing that you ever saw? No. Okay. I do remember um, grooms being nervous about that, but I never saw it happen. So Jessa and Ben were gone for that first kiss for quite a few minutes. So if they had been doing some sneaky kissing previous to the wedding, maybe they went to seal the deal, so to speak. Again, I wouldn't really blame them, even if I'm snarking. Or maybe it was that their first kiss went so poorly that, like, Jessa lost a contact lens and they had to find it before coming back. <laughs> That's totally possible. <laughs> it's totally possible that it was their first kiss and they just wanted to kiss for a little bit, which is fine. So among the thousand guests, Jessa and Ben did have some interesting people. Uh, Kurt Cameron was in attendance. Wow. Bonafide movie star Kurt Cameron. He's like the closest thing that the fundies have to a real celebrity. I'm well, impressed. Guess who else was there? Someone who thinks they're a real celebrity. Was it J Rod? Got it in one guess. Jill and the whole Rodriguez clan were there. And this the was the crew. last Duggar wedding where she acted like a somewhat normal fundy person. But we'll get to that in the next episode. How, so how many people usually come to these weddings, though? Right? Because like, if you're planning a fundy wedding, and you're on a budget. Are you like, are you going to have to make cuts to like certain figures? Just like, man, they have like 12 kids. I, I like them. But, you know, like they're head to head with this other family that's got like eight kids. No, because if it's a fundy wedding, it doesn't matter how many people show up because they don't have catered dinners. They have like oh, a potluck. Yeah, they have like a potluck if they have real food at all. Um, otherwise, a lot of times it's just finger foods and cake. So they really only need to know how uh, roughly how many people are going to be there for the cake. And they a lot of fundies will have somebody in the church who can make a wedding cake so they don't buy um, cake from a bakery that costs like $500. They they get somebody in the church to do it. That's nice. It is nice. That sounds like way so, better than like... A super expensive cake. So they will have like cake and punch and finger foods or cake and punch and potluck. So it's not, they don't have to plan how many seats they need at the reception, but there, there's no seating charts at Fundy Weddings. There's just a general idea of like, oh, we're going to have between 100 and 150 people here. So growing up, if there was a wedding at the church, it's just all the church members who are invited. And then like any friends that the couple has from Hiles Anderson or wherever they met, generally just anyone in the church who was free on that day would show up. Pastors and well-known people in the Fundy world, it becomes more of a royal wedding vibe where they have to, like, when when there's a royal wedding, they have to invite the kings and queens of all these other places and whatnot. 
the pastors have to invite like all their pastor friends and their families and so on and so forth. And since the Duggars are all about being connected to everyone in the Fundy world, they have to invite everyone that they know. So Duggar weddings in particular tend to be around a thousand people. I wonder if Jim Bob has to like grant wishes on the day of his daughter's wedding, like Don Corleone. Jim Bob wishes. <laughs> so Ben Seawald, he is ordained and apparently pastoring a church. I looked up at the church and I'm a little bit confused because the website says that they adhere to the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, which is a Southern Baptist document. But I also looked for the church in the directory on the Southern Baptist Convention website and the church didn't show up there. So I think they're actually independent Baptist. So how does that work then? Is is it just like they're IFB, but they go by a, like Southern Baptist like teaching? I, I don't know. I'm really confused. The differences between an average IFB church and a conservative-leaning Southern Baptist church can be pretty few. It's more like it's differences in the rules, but less differences in the doctrine. And the Baptist Faith and Message is a doctrinal document. So like Southern Baptist churches forbid, like they don't forbid women wearing pants at all. Um, while they may expect women to wear dresses only for church, Southern Baptist churches generally embrace modern worship music alongside the old-fashioned hymns. Southern Baptist churches would generally allow members to see movies at their own discretion. They wouldn't preach against owning a TV. They would just preach against like quote-unquote bad TV shows. They're just not as focused on a strict lifestyle as a way of avoiding sin. And Southern Baptist churches might practice thought control or emotion control, but it's a lot less likely that any individual SBC church does compared to any individual IFB church. But the actual doctrinal beliefs, like about scripture and church, are almost exactly the same. And you also have to remember that independent Baptist churches are independent. It is not a denomination. So it's broad. Like, independent fundamental Baptist generally means certain things, but there are always exceptions to that. I skimmed through the Baptist faith and message, and it was surprisingly conservative, actually. It takes a strong stance against female clergy, against homosexuality, of course. Ben's church takes it a step further in their statement of faith on the church website. Uh, that statement of faith says that even, this is a quote, the intent or desire to surgically alter one's biological natural born sex to a different sex is, quote, sinful. Mm. So even the thought of transitioning or recognizing that you are or might be trans is a sin, and I would definitely call that thought control. None of that stuff is stuff that we want to hear, of course. Here's a question, though. So, like, ben, Ben's a pastor. Mm -hmm. how, how, old, how old is he? How, like, how old was he when he started pastoring this church? So Ben is 26, about to turn 27, he was born in May 1995, and yes, that does make me feel old. He got married in 2014, so he was 19 at the time of the wedding. He just started pastoring, though, last year after going to seminary. He went to college originally for political science, but then changed course and went to Moody Bible Institute for seminary. So I don't know if, like, the Fundy world is different. I don't know. But, like, I can't imagine being a church member and, like, my church needs a new pastor. And a 25-year-old kid comes in and says, I'm ready to be a pastor. I've studied theology long enough, and I have enough life experience to apply it and teach it in ways that will be spiritually fulfilling to you. In Fundy World, 25 isn't unusual to start pastoring. 
lots of people graduate from Hiles really? Anderson at like 21 or 22 and then get married and then immediately go to start a church or a pastor a small church. I'm more appalled by the marriage at 19. I'm t- like when I was 25, though, I thought I was mature. I was a f-ing idiot. No offense, Gavi, but men are just not done until they're 30. I've never known a man under 30 who was a grown up. Jonathan was 30 exactly when we met. And I was like, eh, I don't know. He might be a little bit too young for me. You know what, though? Like, I'm not mad at that. Like, I'm going to be I'm going to be 30 in like a year. And I feel like I'm not quite done. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe I've finished baking, but I'm not out of the oven and I'm still like cooling on the stove. So you don't want to touch the pan yet. Like, you like it. <laughs> I really believe in the person that you are going to grow into. I love watching your personal growth. It's more exciting to me than any sports game except for like the Iron Bowl. But watching, seriously, watching somebody that I care about grow and thrive is so exciting for me. And, and I'm really down with that description of like being out of the oven, but still co- cooling on the stove. You don't want to cut bread when it's fresh out of the oven. You like the top might be brown, but you want to give it a few minutes to let the inside finish cooking and let some of the steam evaporate. And then it's perfect. Sadie, did you just make an oven joke at me? That's anti-Semitic. Oh, you started this. <laughs> you started that joke. Oh, uh, just because you heard me say it, it's okay for you to say it. <laughs> How dare you? I'll have you know, I have Jewish friends. Yeah, me. And and. Okay. So well. shut it. <laughs> there was a comment on the Duggar family blog that I found questioning whether Ben was old enough to pastor. Very much the same concerns that you just expressed. And someone gave us the fundy justification directly. So I don't even have to tell you what it is. Uh, someone said... He can give the same pa- the same counsel that any pastor can give by pointing people to Jesus. So there's the fundy uh, justification. Uh, like if you're a pastor and somebody comes to you for counseling and it's an issue that you haven't personally experienced and you're not in the place in your life to understand like what even that like what it even is that they're talking like even comprehend the problem that they have. How, how are you going to do that? Well, you That's... just tell them to pray about it and read their Bible more. And if it's a money problem, you tell them, you grill them about whether or not they've been tithing. That's pretty much it. That's it. I mean, he's 26, though. Or like, th- th- just like, this is not a man. Like, this man does not have a bottle of Advil on his bedside table. Okay. Like, I, like, I bet he wakes up in the morning and he doesn't even have like weird neck pain. You know, for like no reason. You know what I'm saying? Like you ever wake up, you have weird neck pain for no reason. And sometimes it goes away by 10 a.m. And sometimes it's just there forever. Uh, (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, I bet he I bet he can drink 16 ounces of whole milk and not even get like bloated and have bad stomach pain. You know, (laughs) no, I like I bet like this is the thing. Like he sits down. On like a chair, like on a couch or something. I bet he doesn't even go. Ah, (laughs) like if you don't do that, I don't want to hear from you. Okay, I'm only two years older than this guy. He doesn't like if he doesn't do any of that. Like, don't tell me you have any life experience. You don't know what it is, man. Like, (laughs) so. 
So um, well, I'm going to revisit the question. Of, child. Um, <laughs> he's a child. You're three years older than him. Two years older. Yeah. And I'm not done yet. Okay, fair, fair, fair. I only figured out I can't. I'm lactose intolerant this year. He still has to go through that. Here's a question: Does he have hair still? Yes. I had to go through realizing that I don't get to have hair anymore. He hasn't gone through that. He is a child. <laughs> he is a small child. He is a small baby. Dude, I bet Ben is so young that he doesn't even think 11 at night is late. I mean, he's got a bunch of kids, so maybe he does. Him. Man, he, does, he doesn't know he is a child don't he can't tell me about my life man he's not out here in these streets doing it <laughs> living two life years younger than us. okay yeah so, he's two years younger than i'm still basically a child man uh so i want to back up i'm in like eighth grade and he's a fucking sixth grader he doesn't even know where babies come from yet he got them by accident <laughs> i'm pretty sure he knows because he's got four <laughs> well it could be like a ben shapiro situation you know what i'm saying like uh he, he he's got the vibe a lot ew, of that's but i mean he went to he went to school for political science he was originally going to try to be a politics boy and then he changed his mind it's not an excellent vibe to have of is the vibe of ben shapiro so i want to revisit really quickly the issue of like ifb or not ifb and then then we'll get to some questionable decisions that people make when they have children at a very young age. So Jessa has been seen wearing pants and I brought that up to finish out the IFB or not conversation because every other sign points to independent Baptist, but that puts a question in my mind because I've never known a IFB, an independent Baptist church that was affiliated with the IFB movement and IFB group of churches that would allow a pastor's wife to wear pants. So it, that's what really puts a question in my mind. I don't know. If I yeah. find out, I'll tell you at some point whether you want to find out or not. Ben and Jessa also have four children. And here's the questionable decision. The first child they named Spurgeon. 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 I'm sp like I I don't know I, Spurgeon sounds like it should be the name of like a character from SpongeBob SquarePants you know like it rhymes with Sturgeon. So it's after Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, who was a famous preacher, and fair enough to name your kid after a historical figure who's inspiring to you. There were a couple of names like that on my list for Chuck. I cannot understand why they didn't just go with Charles. His middle name is Elliot, which is after Jim Elliot, that missionary pilot who flew onto an island where he wasn't wanted and got killed by the indigenous people there, which isn't someone I'd name my child after. But Elliot in itself is a perfectly fine name, which once again prompts me to ask why not Elliot Spurgeon Seawald or Charles Elliot Seawald or Elliot Charles Seawald. Literally any other combination would have worked. You know, if you translate uh, Spurgeon Elliot Seawald into the language of the indigenous tribe of that island, it means he who f***ed around and found out. <laughs> so Jessa posts funny things that Spurgeon says to her Twitter and sometimes things that he said that she thought were funny. The most recent example I could find was, here's the quote, I was about to kill a wasp that I'd found on the kitchen windowsill, but then Spurgeon spoke up. 
The Bible says love your enemies, and that could mean even wasps because they sting. So maybe we should just let it out the window. You know those Facebook posts from people, uh, uh, parents who want to brag about how precocious their young children are? And so they say, like, my three-year-old just said, the unexamined life is not worth living. I am so proud that my child is old enough to be reading Socrates. Like, you know? Yeah, it, it very much has that vibe. Uh, the old, like, Jimmy Carter asking his daughter about nuclear nonproliferation thing. Like, your kid didn't oh, say that. Yeah, yeah like, your, your kid didn't say that. And if your kid did say that, it's because children are sponges and they will repeat whatever it is that you talk about. The subreddit R, that happened. Yes. Yeah, very much that. Another example of uh, a, a hashtag sayings of Spurgeon tweet that feels less like indoctrination. As we were riding in the car, Henry announced from the back seat, number one is pee and number two is poop. Spurgeon corrected matter-of-factly, actually, number one is toot, number two is pee, number three is poop, and number four is diarrhea. Okay, that feels like something that a kid would say. That feels like the kind of thing that a kid would say that I wouldn't personally be um, jazzed about putting on the internet. Because that's just I like, a, that's funny. I mean, number one, it's just the thing that kids say. When you feel there's something brown and it's something, something down, diarrhea. Yep. Diarrhea. Yeah. Speaking of you still being a child. <laughs> Jingle bells, Batman smells, Robin laid. <laughs> As mentioned, the next kid is Henry Wilberforce after Matthew, Matthew Henry and William Wilberforce. Wilberforce is still incredibly awful, but at least they stuck it as the middle name instead of having kids running around named Spurgeon and Wilberforce. I don't know, man. Wilberforce, like, Wilberforce is like kind of cool. It sounds like an army of farmers. Like It could be like the, we have the Wilberforce, we have the, the Caleb Battalion, and we have a special strike team Maynard. Uh <laughs> I'm prepared to give them a pass on this one. If you're going to stick your kid with a weird name, make it the middle name. It's way more acceptable. The two daughters are Ivy and Fern, which are perfectly nice names. No notes. Ivy Jane and Fern Eliana. Perfectly fine. Jessa is known for having home births with her first three kids, but she had complications with two out of the three. So in a show of common sense, the fourth kid was born in a hospital. Jessa is also homeschooling her kids, but she's so shown images of their curriculum, and it isn't wisdom booklets. Isn't wisdom booklets. It's not. So they may still be or become an ATI family by also using wisdom booklets, but we do know that that's not the only curriculum that she's using. So that's something. But if they're not using wisdom booklets, then how will they know which bird is best? Like whether <laughs> whether vultures are superior to eagles. Uh, I don't know. They, they may miss out on that crucial piece of knowledge. Oh, my God. It's, Sadie, do you, do you know what I just realized? What? I just realized that every, like every ATI wisdom booklet is just written by like Dwight Schrute. Oh, my God. Bears, beets, better birds. Birds are best. <laughs> birds are best. No, like the the whole ranking vulture is above like ranking which birds are best in the in the eight like it's the same energy as which bear is best. That is it is. It's is Bill Gothard actually just Dwight from the office? I mean kind of. Weird. He's a fing weirdo. Yeah, he's he's a weirdo. He likes to control women. He's all about like breeding things. 
and like superior genetics and like yeah but dwight doesn't have a well uh well documented foot fetish so point against him for that no but dwight is known to actually have like uh successfully copulated with a human female so consensually yeah like on purpose yeah uh see i well i cannot answer the question of whether bill gothard and dwight schrute are the same person i can tell you that uh i did chuck's hair like dwight when i got her out of the bath the other day and it was really funny (laughs) (laughs) so so ben uh when he was an aspiring pastor he knew this guy jeremy vuolo and he introduced Jeremy to the Duggar family, and that's how we got our next Duggar couple, Jeremy and Ginger, who we will start with next week. Yes, yes, yes. Today's episode is over. This episode has gone very long, but it's been a fun one. It's been a good time. Uh, next week, we are going to uh, get snug with the Doug again. We are talking about all the people who get snug with the Dugs. All of the... Legal adult human beings who looked themselves in the mirror on one fine morning and said to themselves, yes, marrying into this family is a good decision, and I will definitely not regret it. No regrets. That's... No regrets. No. Oh, my God. No regrets. That's incredible. That seems incredible because it is way too late at night. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode. (laughs) If you are a fan of the show, if you like our show and uh, you want to hear a version of this episode that's even longer than the one that you already just listened to, you can subscribe to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. You can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Please. If you have mission stories, so a story of something that happened to you, just some wild that happened while you were on a missions trip, or some wild that you heard somebody claim happened to them on a missions trip that you're like, there is no way that's true, or if it is, holy what on earth, please send it to us in an email at a leaving Eden pod at gmail.com. And we will feature your story in a future episode. If we find it spicy enough. Uh, thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers and especially to our faith promise mission subscribers. And uh, we'll come back next week with more Duggar in laws. Yeah. You can follow the podcast on Facebook at leaving Eden podcast on Instagram at leaving Eden podcast on Twitter at leaving Eden pod Sadie, would you like to plug your social media? Yep, you can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music. You can follow me on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie. And you can follow me on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at G A V R I E L H A C O H E N. And until next time, bye bye.
Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.